By way of reminder, um, we are looking at a, a future event known as the tribulation period, seven years. Um, it goes from chapter 6 in the book of Revelation all the way to chapter 19 in the book of Revelation. And we have found ourselves, though, as we've been studying these chapters, kind of at the tail end of a pause or an intermission. Um, remember, there's judgments that we learned about that will happen during the tribulation period. The tribulation period begins with a, a series of seven seals being opened. You guys remember that? Seven seals being opened, uh, seven seals of judgment, and then the seventh seal, when that's opened, it introduces seven more judgments, seven trumpet judgments. And then with the seventh trumpet, we know that it introduces seven more judgments, the seven bold judgments. And they seem to me, as we study the word, they seem to be chronological, sequential. But again, we're given more information in these pauses or these intermissions that we might learn uh, or might gain more insight um, to what is happening on planet Earth during this time period. And personally, it's my own opinion, um, and many of you, your opinion as well, that uh, we will not be here for that time period. That uh, we have not been appointed unto wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus returned for his church, for the bride of Christ, that is us, it is imminent. That means he's coming at any minute to take us where? To take us to the Father's house, to the place that he's preparing for us right now. And once that happens, once we're taken out of here, listen, all hell will break loose on earth. Can you imagine? The church, the influence of the church, we get taken out of here, brought home to be with our Jesus um, it's going to get pretty gnarly on planet Earth, and we're looking at that as we work our way through this book together. Um, but I think as we look at chapter 14, we've taken a few weeks, haven't we, to go through this chapter? Yeah. It is like, it's, it's like a, for me, just studying, it's kind of like a, like a blip of hope. And it's been, it's been heavy studying about the tribulation and what's going to happen to people that, uh, that will be here during that time. But this chapter has been really, for me at least, um, I think it's, we see a picture of God's mercy, um, a picture of his love, along with his justice, along with his righteousness as well. And remember where this chapter began, we saw the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that get saved, saved after the rapture, um, they end up in heaven, they make it. They make it through the tribulation. They make it to heaven. There's this amazing worship scene that's going on. And then we saw three angels. Remember the first angel that will be flying through the skies during, at this point in the tribulation, proclaiming, preaching the everlasting gospel. You know what that means? Everybody will hear the good news. No one will be left out. There's going to be no excuses for anyone that they never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this angel's proclaiming the good news, but also judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You have the opportunity um, to be saved, to be rescued. And then another angel comes flying through, right? Another angel on the scene proclaiming what? Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That system, that which hurts you, that which harms you, is going to come to an end. Get away from Babylon. Don't be in Babylon. Don't be involved with Babylon at all. And we talked a little bit about that last week, and we'll talk more about that as we work our way through the book. And then remember that third angel that was cruising through the sky? 
that angel was warning everyone what? Don't take the mark. Don't take the mark of the beast. Don't do it. Don't take it. I think that's a great like, comfort too, isn't it? Because some people trip out. Man, I got 666 on this or on that. And listen, an angel is going to warn people in the tribulation. It will be a person's choice to take the mark. And when you do, you are saying, I don't want Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow the Antichrist and be a part of his kingdom. And so the gospel will be rejected. Jesus Christ will be rejected and we learned also that not only would they, those people that do um, reject him at that time, they'll be the recipients of, of judgment, of wrath, not only during the tribulation, but eternally they'll be tormented in hell forever. And I know there's a lot of pastors, preachers that kind of tiptoe through the tulips through these passages. Listen, that's what the book says. That's what the Bible says. And I'm not going to start making excuses for God. That's what the, that's what the Bible says. And Jesus absorbed the wrath that we deserved when he suffered on the cross that we wouldn't have to go through and suffer God's wrath. And so the first three angels, they, they, they warn of impending judgment. And now we're going to be introduced to three more angels that will be um, speaking of the implementation of that judgment also at the end of the tribulation. And so um, judgment is coming. Do you guys know that? Judgment is coming. And that'll be a major theme of our Bible study this morning. You know, take a look around. It is a testimony to God's mercy and his patience that judgment hasn't come yet. And he is long-suffering, right? 2 Peter 3 tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world, he loves people. He wants to rescue people. He sent his son to die for everybody and to rise again from the dead to rescue everyone. In fact, we learn in Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel 18, that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And so God's heart is broken for the lost. He wants to reach the lost, and we see he's doing everything he can, even up to the end, to reach out to mankind. And I, I began to think this week, what does God see? What do you think he must see and hear on a daily basis? I mean, isn't it, I think for me, it's been hard even watching the news. Like, I had to turn it off. I'm like, I can't, I can't even listen anymore or watch any longer to hear how gnarly it's getting, how brutal as we look around us. Jesus spoke about these times would be like the, the days of Noah. You look at the days of Noah, the earth was filled with wickedness. God looked and saw man as just as gross and the, the imaginations of men's heart t continually towards wickedness and hurting one another and, and bringing harm to others. And so a judgment will come, and we're going to see this morning um, as we read through verses 14 through 20. It's going to be a gruesome scene, by the way. And as we read this, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heavy, I'm just going to give you a precursor, a little uh, preemptive strike this morning, a warning. It's going to be gruesome. It's going to be bloody this morning. It's going to be gruesome. Um, do you have a problem with the wrath of God this morning? If you have a problem with the wrath of God, I don't know what world you're looking at. Because <laughs> there is a reason to be angry. And it is not for me to say it's time to bring judgment. But I get it. God will bring judgment. He loves people and he sees people hurting one another. And it's not going to stop 
It's only going to ramp up and get worse and worse. And sometimes it takes violence to stop violence. Do you guys know that? And and listen, God will do it whether you like it or not. Maybe you're here this morning going, oh, where did I land? Where where did I find myself? (laughs) God will do it whether you like it or not. He doesn't need your approval. He's God. We're not. And only he can come to that conclusion. Why? Because he has all the facts. He knows the big picture. He he sees. He knows. And everything, listen, everything he does is righteous and true. That's who he is. And so, where do we leave off? (laughs) Verse 14, yeah? Verse 14. Let's check it out. Then I looked. Who's I, by the way? John the Apostle. Then I looked, and behold, or check it out, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat who? Sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. Why? For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. Why? For her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And so again, we see, a, we see a couple of scenes here. Let's take a look at the first scene in verse 14 through 16. And uh, again, God is going to bring judgment upon evil to bring about the beauty and the glory of heaven to this earth. Um, he's going to have to bring judgment upon evil. And so he's going to have to bring some extreme measures. And so we see it here in verse 14. John was looking And he said, check it out, one that looks like, who's the son of man, by the way? Jesus, right? That is a Old Testament reference to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. If you're taking notes, Daniel 7, I think it's Daniel 7, 14, 15, somewhere in that region. In fact, Jesus used that term for himself, didn't he? Did Jesus Jesus use that term for himself, y'all? Right? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Remember when Jesus went through those three civil trials on the night in which he was betrayed? Remember when he was beaten? We'll talk about that later, beyond recognition. And the high priest was questioning him. 
and said to Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Remember Jesus' response? He said what? He said, I am. And you will see the son of man, son of man what? Sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the glory of the clouds of heaven. And and you know what? He knew exactly the implication of what Jesus was saying because he did what? (laughs) I don't need, we don't need to hear any longer any of this. But Jesus used that term, son of man, and applied it to himself many times. And notice he's wearing a golden crown. And this golden crown is the victor's crown. Um, Not the diadem crown, but the victory crown that he's wearing, made of gold. And what does he have in his hand? A sharp what? What's a sickle? Yeah, a curved blade. He's got a wooden handle, right? Curved blade, and it's used to chop down crops. Sometimes you go in the mission field. We've been to, I've been to India, seen it over there in Africa. They cut down. They still use those things to cut down crops. And so Jesus is on this cloud, beautiful golden crown. He's got a sickle in his hands. And then, verse 15, another angel comes out of the temple And we don't know if this was, remember, the earthly temple at this time was rebuilt, will be rebuilt, right, in Jerusalem. You guys remember that? There'll be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. The Jew, it's unauthorized by, unsanctioned by God. He didn't tell anybody to build a temple. But it will be rebuilt, right, in the middle of the tribulation. What's going to happen? The Antichrist will put a stop to the offerings and sacrifices. You guys remember all this? I'm seeing some blank stares. Like, what's he talking about, Willis? (laughs) Temple rebuilt. So this may be the unsanctioned rebuilt temple the angel comes flying out of because the abomination of desolation will be set up in the middle of the tribulation. The Antichrist will go into the Holy of Holies, demand to be worshipped as God. So maybe this angel's coming out and then saying to the Lord, or maybe he came from heaven. It's not really clear Later in, the, in chapter uh, 14, verse 17, this other angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. So um, he came out of one of the temples with volume. Check it out. His volume was cranked way up. Is he bossing Jesus, telling Jesus what to do here? Do angels tell Jesus what to do? They boss him around? No way. I think he's making an appeal to the Lord and says what? The harvest has come. Take your sickle and start reaping that which is ripe, on planet Earth. And by the way, it's interesting because that word ripe means overripe or withered and dry. It's the same word Jesus used. Remember when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches? Y'all, y'all remember that? The one that's disconnected from Jesus is withered and what gets thrown into the fire is the idea. That same word withered is used right here. And so the Earth's inhabitants are well past ripeness. God has given man time to repent, but time has expired. And that, to me, that's frightening. Because God certainly, as you study your Bible, God certainly judges, time, judges morally. He judges time morally. He gives people time to repent. Aren't you grateful for that? He gives people time to repent, to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart, to have a change of direction in their life. And so look at verse 16. So this one that looks like Jesus, the son of man sitting on a cloud, uses his sickle to do what? To to bring in the harvest. Notice it's one swift slice 
from the one who is the only one who is qualified to do this. He's not slicing and dicing. It's just one quick, efficient, and just like that, check it out, it's over for many. Just like that. But also, I think also many are brought home to heaven. In fact, this imagery is used by Jesus. This harvesting uh, imagery is used in the Gospels. If you're taking notes, I'm going to flip there. Uh, Mark 4, or it might go up on the scoreboard. We'll see. Mark 4, verse 26. Jesus speaking about his kingdom coming. And he said, the kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain in the head, but when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the, what does your Bible say? Sickle. The sickle. Why? Because the harvest has come. So we see the sickle is used for a harvest. If you're taking notes, Matthew 13. I'm going to flip over there also. Matthew 13. Jesus telling a parable, and then he gives the interpretation of the parable. In Matthew 13, verse 37 Jesus answered and said to his disciples, he who sows the good seeds, or the good seed, is the son of man. Who's the son of man again? Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age, the Son of Man, here it is again, will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let me remind us of another same harvest imagery. Remember when uh, Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized? Y'all remember that? And, and John the Baptist, remember what he said? Like, I'm not even worthy to get down and, and untie his shoes or, un, or take off his uh, sandals. And he said, this I baptize with water, but the one coming after me is greater. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with, and with fire. And then John the Baptist went on to say his winnowing fan, again, harvest imagery, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out or purge out the threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff, he's going to burn up with unquenchable fire. And so we definitely want to be in the barn, don't we? <laughs> we want to be part of his kingdom, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we read this, I don't know about you, the reaping of the earth 
in, these, in verses 14 through 16 um, is somewhat different to me than the gathering of the vine in verses 17 through 20, although the great sickle of judgment is used in both. Let's check it out. Let's see the differences now. Verse 17, John saw another angel who also had a sharp sickle come out of the temple, which temple? The one that's in heaven. And the angel who had, look at verse 18, the angel had power over fire. Isn't that interesting? This angel had power over fire. He comes from the altar. Remember, there's an altar in heaven. You guys remember that? There's an altar in heaven. This angel that has the power of fire comes out of the altar and volume cranked up also says to the other angel with the sharp sickle to do what? To reap what is fully ripe on planet earth. Can I just remind us, remember we saw this altar earlier in chapter six and do you guys remember who was under the altar? Who was under the altar? Anybody remember? It was those that are martyred during the tribulation period. Those that come to know Jesus Christ after the rapture of the church, they're on planet earth. They gave their lives to Jesus. They ended up getting martyred. We saw this early in the tribulation. And they're doing what? They're praying. They're crying out to God. You guys remember this? They're crying out. And what were they saying? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. How long is it going to be till you're going to get vengeance, Lord? And remember what the answer was? Just for loose Robertson translation, take a chill pill. Just take it easy, chill out, mellow out. Until what? Until the number, there's going to be more that are going to be saved, more that are going to be, give their lives as martyrs, until that number is complete, and then Jesus will bring vengeance. And that's what the Lord says, doesn't he? He says, vengeance, God says that vengeance is mine, I will repay. We can leave that in his hands, because don't we pray for that? I don't know about you guys, don't you guys sometimes ever pray like, Lord, stop that war. Stop that suffering, stop that terrorism, stop that murder, stop that rape. Lord, would you stop the human trafficking? Would you stop the, the pedophilia stuff, the stuff that's happening all around us? God, please, are you going to do something? Lord, listen, by the way, God will answer that prayer. And it will take extreme measures. No one is getting away with it, by the way. God sees, he knows, he hears, and it will take judgment, it will take wrath to do what? To remove that ugliness from planet Earth. And it will happen in God's perfect timing and in his perfect way. He, you know that God's never late. He's always on time. And we should keep praying. Remember what Jesus said, Luke 18? Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Has anybody here lost heart praying? Jesus would say that to you today. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep on. Keep on praying. Because then Jesus gives a parable. You guys remember the parable? The widow and the unjust judge. You guys remember that parable? This widow needs to get vengeance. She's been ripped off. She's been done. She's been done wrong. 
And there's this unjust judge, and she keeps going to him and asking for help, asking for vengeance day after day. She's pounding on his door, looking in his window, following his chariot. It's just a joke. She's persistent. And and remember, Jesus tells us the, the meaning of this parable. It's not that God's unjust, not that you have to keep like, you know, pounding God's door, wearing him out. But Jesus said at the end of that parable, he said, will not the Lord bring vengeance for his saints? He's going to bring vengeance in his time. Oh, God will do it. But when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on this planet? Isn't that interesting he said that? Like, what? We always ought to pray, not lose heart. And what's he saying? God will come through. He's going to come through. But when God does come through and answer those prayers, will the person who first started praying initially, will he find that person still praying and still trusting? Will he still find us praying and trusting him for the answer? Or will we quit and throw in the towel or be unbelieving? Jesus said, don't lose heart. You keep on praying. And by the way, how does God view our prayers? What have we learned in in the book of Revelation? We learned in the Psalms too. Our prayer rises like what? Like smoke from the back of a bad muffler? What? (laughs) Like what? You guys ever burn incense? Still? Anybody still burn incense? I do. It smells amazing. Some of us used to use it for different reasons. So I don't mean to go there. Sorry. <laughs> but what is but you guys know for those of you who burn or burned incense, what does it do? It rises up right off that stick and then does what? It fills the whole room and it attaches to your clothes. And God says, Your prayers are like incense that rise up to me, that do what? That fill the house, and not only that, they attach to my heart. That's how beautiful your prayers are to Him. And so we keep, and, and when we pray without ceasing, we keep coming to him, spending time with him. And it may not change that situation, but, but certainly it begins to change my heart as I begin to pray for those around me. Well, verse 19. So what happened? The angel followed through, reaping from planet Earth, and then the harvest was put where? Into the wine press of God's wrath or God's anger. And so we go from a a harvest of like wheat picture and now to the picture of a grape harvest of overripe grapes. Grapes that have gone bad. Grapes gone bad, grapes that are rotten, that are wrecked, if you will. Um, I talked to a a friend of mine this week from our church that um, he is like an expert in horticulture. That's what it's called, right? That was called like plants and fruits and vegetables. Is that correct? Horticulture? He's an expert in that area. Fruits and nuts. <laughs> and I asked him, how do good grapes go bad? Like, what's the deal with that? And he sends me like this mile-long text. I'm like, okay, dude, that's like TMI, bro. Like, I just, can you give me something short? And he said, here's what he said. He said, the infestation of bugs was one issue. Freezing too much water, not enough water, the soil is bad, bad airflow, 
And then I asked him, so what happens? What do you do when you got a whole bunch of bad grapes? How do you save the vine? And you know what he told me? You got to gut the whole thing. You got to cut it all the way back. It's gone too far. And if you don't, it will ruin the entire vineyard. Yesterday, walking with another friend from church, he was sharing with me about his olive vineyard and the freeze that happened. What was that two years ago? Something like that? All the snow, all the cool snow and freezing. He said he had to cut back all of his olive trees all the way down to like the nub in order why? In order to save, to save those trees so that they would be fruitful. And I, I began to think about, you know, reading this is like God looks at the condition of the earth. It's so awful. It's so disgusting, filled with violence, filled with hurt, filled with torture, filled with corruption. And what does he say? It's gone far enough. It's gone far. I have to give. I, it, needs a, it needs a gut. It needs to be gut. It needs to be but I still see some healthy grapes, but the rest has to go. And it's like, just praying, like, Lord, is there application for me in this this week? Like, Lord, what are you trying to show me in this? Well, what would you have me to communicate to your precious people, Lord? And you, you know what? Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the what? Is the vine dresser. And you know, there's sometimes the Lord needs to cut away and prune away stuff from our lives, doesn't he? If you're a new Christian here this morning, um, welcome to the family. We all get pruned, right? Although painful, it provides a, have another P word, a plenteous bounty of produce for the Lord. But what does the Lord say? The best thing I can do for you is to get rid of this, to remove it. It's hurting you. It's, it's the only way to rescue you, Mike. And it can happen with lots of things in our life, can it? Hobbies, relationships, money, jobs, all stuff, material goods. And, and what happens typically, right? The Lord prunes something away and you go, no, I needed that. I can't live without that. You guys are laughing. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. No, I have to have that. I have to have that job. You do? Is that your God? And then things get put back into what? In a proper perspective so often. It's painful though, isn't it? But then you look back and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your perfect pruning in my life. Thank you. It took the machete on this one or the, what's the thing called? The sickle. (laughs) But stuff needs to be removed to preserve the vine. There comes a time when he needs to take stuff away in order to rescue us. And that's what's happening. That's what he's going to do to this planet. Look at the next verse with me. What happens? Verse 20. So the wine press gets trampled outside the city. When we read the city, it typically refers to Jerusalem. And so outside of Jerusalem, people's blood will be shed 
How high is the horse's bridles? I think it's somewhere between like four and six feet. We got some horse people here. How it is like four and six feet? It's pretty high, right? Yeah, thank you. The, the blood, that, think about that. Blood that high and approximately 180 miles long. That's some serious bloodshed. A massive, uh, awful scene. The blood of unnumbered multitudes splattering all over the place like tramplers in a wine press. You guys ever seen a trampler in a wine press? Smashing the grapes. You smash those grapes and if blood starts flying and it starts to get all over you as well. Well, listen, a bloody day is coming. I believe this is a sneak preview of, the, of Armageddon. I guess somebody said, this movie came out, it's called Armageddon, this is what it's all about. I'll tell you what Armageddon's all about, really simply. You guys want to know what Armageddon is all about if you don't know already? It's the Antichrist gathering all of his followers to fight against Jesus Christ, and it doesn't last very long. Guess who wins? Jesus Christ. In fact, flip forward with me, Revelation 19, real quick. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth to set up his kingdom. Verse 11, now I, who's I again? John, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is that, by the way? That's Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who's that? That's us, gang. How cool is that going to be? We get to ride. It's going to be sick. And the, check it out. And it says, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself, here it is, treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A specific day, a specific event when Jesus comes back this is what it's going to take to get rid of sin and suffering in the world. This is something God has to do in order to bring about the beauty of heaven to earth. And it's going to take force to get rid of evil. Where people have choices. But please make no mistake about it. God will remove wickedness and wicked ones. There are those who don't care what God says or what God does. All around us, aren't there? They could care less. I don't want God in my life. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want your Jesus. I, but I'll take your gifts. I'll take the stuff you provide. But not you. I don't want you. I, let me run my life. Let me run my own little kingdom. Get away from me. And what does God say? Okay, have it your way. 
And we see the fruit of man going his own way all around us, don't we? Don't we see the fruit of man's wisdom all around us? Want to see what it produces? It's getting darker and darker and darker, but God will not let rebellion go on forever. He will judge it. God will not force men to obey him or control them like robots. But God will withdraw from those who refuse his love and will let them have their own way. And he keeps stretching out his hand, doesn't he? This is the revelation. What is this book called? Revelations? Is this Revelations? It's what? The revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Revelation means the unveiling or the uncovering of Jesus and all of his beauty, all of his splendor, all of his magnificence. And I'm bringing that up because... For some of you, this is new stuff. Seeing Jesus bring wrath, bring judgment. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was kind of like the hippie with the flower and the kids. (laughs) And God the Father, he's kind of ticked off, but Jesus, you know, he mellows out the Father some. Tells him to just cool it. Right, peace. Right, you ever see the you ever see those paintings? <laughs> I, I look at this, and um, Jesus is the Lamb, but He's also the Lion. And some people have a problem with a violent Jesus. Um, listen, He's very loving, but He's also very violent. That's the reality. Judgment belongs to Jesus. Jesus said. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him power and authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. And this pressing of grapes um, causes the juice to get everywhere. The liquid splatters on you. And this is not the first time we read about this. I'm going to flip there, Isaiah 63, if you would with me. Flip over there or watch it on the scoreboard, Isaiah 63. It's like, it's like how, okay, Isaiah 63, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Is it spoken about in the Old Testament? It absolutely is. This scene, is it spoken about in the Old Testament? It sure is. Isaiah 63, please listen to what the book says, what the Bible says, God's word. And it's interesting because Isaiah asks a question in verse 1, at the beginning of verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of of his strength. And then Jesus speaks. Look what it says. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah asks him another question. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the wine press? We just read that, didn't we? What does Jesus say? What's his response? I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. 
Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought, them, brought down their strength to the earth. There is no apologies from heaven with this passage. This is a reality for all those that will continue to be dug in, shaking their fist at God and hurting people. But I want to remind us this morning, we have, there's good news. As God's children, as the bride of Christ, we are not appointed to wrath. Amen? Amen. Why is that? Flip to Isaiah 53 with me, because you're already there in Isaiah. Right? You all there already? Okay. C. Actually, Isaiah 52. So at his second coming, he's going to be splattered with others' blood. In his first coming, he was splattered with his own blood. Fifty-two, thirteen, and then we'll roll into fifty-three. The Father speaking of the Son: "Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, or with perfect wisdom. He shall be exalted." and extolled, and be very high. That's how it all would end. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And, and that speaks of when Jesus was beaten beyond recognition, face covered, being hit over and over, struck, So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told, what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Jesus the Messiah, shall grow up before him, the Father, as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form. Or, or splendor or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, hated for no reason, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions, literally pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And so Isaiah writing here, speaking of our Lord and all that he went through, enduring for you and for me, shedding his blood, being beaten and whipped, scourged, pouring out his blood on the cross, it was all for you and for me. Because all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, all our twistedness laid upon Jesus, innocent Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. No protest, no complaint. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was the perfect, pure, spotless lamb of God, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So we read of what Jesus went through, his suffering being bled out for us, and then what? It talks about that he will rise again. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. He shall see, verse 11, he won't stay dead. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant, look at this, shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That's you and me, by the way. Because he, why? Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Do you see how awesome our Lord Jesus is, what he did for us this morning? How are we spared from God's wrath? All of us as criminals in God's universe? How could a righteous God be so merciful and so loving? What did he do? He gave his only begotten son to absorb the punishment and wrath that we so rightly deserve for our sins. But because we put our faith and trust in Jesus, now he can be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. Amen to that from anyone? 
How close are we to all this? I think we're overripe. How close? I, we're, I think we're in overtime. We are in extra innings. And God is still reaching out. Even with all the great wickedness, earth filled with it. How do I, how do I respond to that? I don't know about you, but I sometimes forget that I came from that great wickedness. And that I need the blood of Jesus Christ just like those people around me that don't know him. We all are in desperate need of his cleansing blood. He's the only way to be justified. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. And we read that and we should be rejoicing this morning in so great a salvation, so great a savior. And yet, God, would you give us your heart for the lost? We forget so easy. It's so easy to point the finger, isn't it? Boom, boom, boom. And it's like, oh, Lord, that was me. You rescued me and saved me. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. Lord, use my life with the time I have left that I would redeem the time for your glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much.